your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. And we continue to see a situation where countries are choosing sides. Kuwait has revealed that uh, it has severed diplomatic relations with Iran, recalling an ambassador from Tehran. Uh, as uh, some are describing this as a, a cold war, it follows the execution of 47 Shiite figures by Saudi Arabia, including a very prominent cleric. We'll get onto that in a moment. But uh, also in the wake of that, we've seen calls out of Iran for justice. We, we've seen the suggestion by President Hassan Rouhani that really the international community needs to step in. This is a, a human rights issue that Europe, for example, has a human rights obligation to act. Sarah Leah Whitson is the executive director of Human Rights Watch's Middle East and North Africa division and joins us on the line. Good morning to you from Seoul. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you for taking the time. I just wonder if you can sure. start with the mass execution itself and, and how we should be interpreting that. Um, well, the mass executions uh, of 47, uh, uh, almost entirely Saudis, I think there were three foreign nationals among them, uh, the majority of them were uh, Sunnis allegedly involved in attacks uh, terrorist attacks against uh, the kingdom about a decade ago uh, linked to al-Qaeda. Uh, we know that at least four of them were Shia who had nothing to do with these al-Qaeda attacks and were instead uh, uh, prosecuted in connection with a protest that had taken place in 2011 in the eastern province, which is a, a largely Shia province uh, in Saudi Arabia for uh, uh, greater rights and, and less discrimination. The most prominent of them being Sheikh Nimr al-Nimr, uh, a Saudi cleric uh, who was one of the leaders of uh, uh, the community demanding uh, more rights uh, uh, and, and equality for Shia in the kingdom and uh, who was you know, a, a increasingly a well-known advocate for the Shia community. So was this the, the great human rights violation that it's being portrayed as by President Hassan Rouhani of Iran? Well, I think Iran's uh, upset over this isn't so much about the death penalty per se or the mass executions per se. It would be hard-pressed to complain about that given Iran's far worse record in executions, uh, which uh, is uh, the, the, the Iran is the largest executor of humans uh, in uh, the Middle East uh, and um, you know has an execution rate far in excess of Saudi Arabia's. Uh, their particular point of grievance was the execution of uh, the four Shia members, in particular Sheikh Nimr al-Nimr, as a political attack against the Shia community um, because, uh, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Sheikh Nimr was a political activist uh, and a rights activist, and the, uh, his execution was seen as a, an attack on the entire Shia community. Okay, just to clarify, because... Um some of the information I had in front of me was clearly inaccurate. Uh, th these were not all Shiite figures at all. In fact, you said the majority of them who were executed were Sunni. Uh, Saudi Arabia is often criticized as being some sort of hotbed of 
Sunni extremist support. The fact that uh, so many are being publicly executed would go against that, wouldn't it? Well, I think that's exactly the image that Saudi Arabia was trying to portray in carrying out these mass executions. And I suppose cleverly thinking that they could balance out executing uh, so many Sunnis by executing a couple of Shia for good measure uh, to avoid uh, domestic approbation for uh, an execution that uh, focused on uh, uh, Sunnis. Um, uh, nevertheless, I think it's important to understand um, that Saudi Arabia itself has a serious terrorist problem uh, with extremist Islamist groups like al-Qaeda, uh, who uh, have carried out terrible terrorist attacks in the kingdom. And so in many ways, uh, Saudi citizens and the Saudi government obviously are quite threatened by extremist groups like al-Qaeda and ISIS, who have declared Saudi Arabia an enemy state. That being said, um, there is quite a bit of sympathy uh, for extremist Islamist uh, 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 violence ideology inside Saudi Arabia, um, which uh, Saudi Arabia both exports in terms of recruits to groups like ISIS and al-Qaeda, but also as a domestic homegrown problem. Um, So it's really a mix and a combination of these Mm. factors. Yeah, and it seems quite obvious, like with any other country, you're going to have varying views within uh, the government or established elite of any society. There will be some who are opposed to something and some will be in favour, presumably the same with Saudi Arabia and extremism. Well, the only difference, I think, or one of the major differences in Saudi Arabia, of course, is that there is no space for public debate, uh, particularly public debate that's critical of the government. So the sort of debate um, that you and I uh, might engage in uh, the United States, for example, or even South Korea, uh, about whether our government is doing a good job or a bad job, um, whether our elected leaders are honest or corrupt, um, is not a debate that can be had in Saudi Arabia, because if you do criticize the monarchy, you can be accused of terrorism, you can be accused of breaking allegiance with the leader, you can be jailed, you can be whipped, and you can be executed. Mm. And that is exactly what the Saudi Arabian government does to stifle any political dissent in the country. Putting all this ideology aside, how much of this conflict is really about oil? You know, I mean, the, the conflict between Saudi Arabia and Iran, I would not say, is about oil. They both have plenty of oil, and they've both made their fortunes in oil, and, and they continue to uh, uh, grow their infrastructure primarily as oil-based economies, obviously Saudi Arabia much more so than Iran. Um, I think the conflict between Saudi Arabia and Iran is one of dominance and interests, uh, with Saudi Arabia seeing itself as uh, uh, the leader, uh, the most important leader of the Sunni Arab world, uh, if not the Sunni global world, and Iran seeing itself as the global leader and global caretaker of the Shia populations who are almost everywhere a minority population throughout the Arab world uh, and, and uh, uh, Pakistan uh, as well. And so there is a, a, a tension uh, between them that is about power and domination and control and influence and interests like the power dynamics that exist uh, among various states. Uh, I think the difference in, in, in Saudi Arabia and Iran is it has a religious veneer. Um, but as, as we know, you know, there, there are always many flavors and colors to the veneers states use to hide what is at bottom a struggle for power and domination. Mm. 
Let's talk a little bit about the future of this situation, because if we go back in time for a precedent, we, we know that Saudi Arabia severed ties with Iran back in the late 1980s, and that lasted three years. Is this more of the same, or are we seeing something new and potentially even more dangerous? Uh, well, I mean, it, it, it remains to be seen. I think, uh, ironically, uh, one of the silver linings of the Syria peace process, the fledgling peace process that uh, started to unfold in December of last year, um, is that it actually brought Iran and Saudi Arabia to the negotiating table for the first time. And the foreign ministers of both states were part of the meetings in Paris uh, where they agreed that there would be a joint effort to try to reach some kind of a ceasefire and enter the war, at least in parts of Syria. And that interaction can be only a good thing if it brings uh, two parties that have a great deal of hostility and, and are effectively essentially fighting each other uh, in a country like Syria uh, to a negotiating table. Uh, I think that's been upended now, even though the Saudi foreign minister announced today that he intends and they intend to continue the peace process and it should not affect the peace negotiations. I think it's deeply unfortunate um, that the behavior of both Saudi Arabia and Iran has been so petulant and laden with machismo and personal politics um, in a way, in a manner that is extremely immature and dangerous mm. uh, to the entire region and first and foremost being paid uh, by the the price of this is being paid uh, by the people of the region, by the Arabs in the region, by Syrians and Yemenis. Well, what sort of impact will this have on those conflicts in Syria and Yemen, for example? Well, uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the main threat right now is that the peace talks will be upended, that, that, that this will cause... Uh, the loss of any good faith efforts to really try to negotiate and resolve the conflict in earnest, at least among most of the warring parties. Uh, mm -hmm. And that in particular for Saudi Arabia, the process will be one of pretense and formality as opposed to an earnest, sincere, uh, open-minded exchange of views and, and willingness to make concessions. Um, that's, that's the threat. That's the fear. I hope it doesn't come to pass. I hope the wiser uh, minds in uh, Syria uh, can't can uh, 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 reach uh, uh, a more mature approach uh, to the interests uh, of uh, the Saudi people uh, and the Syrian people, rather, um, but it remains to be seen. And in Yemen, uh, I think, as well, uh, the peace process, the peace dialogue is likely to be upended, although that was not one directly involving Iran. Thank you again very much for uh, joining us and, and offering us a perspective You're on, very on both nations. Good luck with You're your efforts as well. Uh, Sarah Leah Whitson, Executive Director of Human Rights Watch's Middle East and North Africa Division. You can share your thoughts by email still, efmthismorning at gmail.com.